John's disciples told him all about these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What do you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptised by John. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said.
Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I want you to imagine you've got an audience with God. You're there before the Almighty. Paint the picture, paint the scene in your mind. Cloud city, pearly gates, gigantic bearded old man. We've all imagined it before, I'm sure. You've got five minutes. What comes out of your mouth? What are the first things that you say? I think for some people, the first thing out of their mouths will be a question. God, why was life this way? Why was life not another way? Why did you do X? Why didn't you do Y? I think for the vast majority of people, actually, a question will be the very first things that they imagine coming out of their mouths. Less likely, although still definitely possible, is that out of our mouths would come a, a critique. It's not even asking God anymore, but just saying, Lord, you really should have run the world in this or that way. It really should have been done differently. A third, even stronger option, which I think genuinely is an option, would be not even to speak a word, but to have written across our face a, a horrid sneer of contempt. Imagine you're there, an audience with the Almighty, five minutes, what comes out of your mouth? Question? Critique? Contempt? The reason I want you to imagine this is because in today's passage, we find people who have that very thing. They have that chance to be before Jesus. And those are the three reactions that we encounter. Three reactions, which I'm obviously packaging as negative reactions, things that we should look to avoid. And there is a fourth option, which we'll get to. But before we dive into the passage, let's just think about where we are. We're in Luke chapter seven, and we are hot on the heels of Jesus doing some very Jesus-like things. Jesus has healed the servant from a great distance. He's raised the widow's only son from the dead. And in doing those things, his reputation, his fame is growing more and more. The, the, the tales, the stories of the sorts of things Jesus is spending his time doing are reaching into the furthest corners. And in that context that John, Jesus's cousin John, John the Baptist, John has this opportunity to ask Jesus a question. 
John's disciples told Jesus about all of these things. And so John calls two of them and he sent them to the Lord to ask this question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now that's a, a question that's puzzled people for centuries. It's a question which you might find surprising and difficult to read. Surely John the Baptist can't be doubting Jesus, can he? Surely John the Baptist can't be questioning whether Jesus is the real deal. After all, John the Baptist is the one who went before Jesus. John the Baptist is the one who was filled with the Spirit and when he saw Jesus, pointed to him and identified him. Here is the, the Lamb of God come to take the sins of the world away. Surely he can't be asking this question of Jesus, can he? Well, stop for a moment and think. John, with his God-given message to preach and to proclaim, how did he view the one who was to come after him? John spoke about it being the time of the axe at the root of the tree, the time of the winnowing forks to separate the wheat from the chaff before throwing the chaff into the fire. John spoke about repentance because judgment was just around the corner. Judgment for all evil doers, for all sinners, for all of God's enemies. And now here is John in prison, persecuted, he hasn't just spent his life giving up things. He's now having things kept from him, his, his freedom even. Now, to John, I think it's fair to say would be a really good time for justice to, to flow like a river. For judgment to come and for the axe to fall on all those it needs falling on. And remember the stories that's reaching John? His disciples told him about all these things, that Jesus isn't bringing judgment. Jesus is bringing restoration. Jesus is bringing healing. Healing even at the request of the Roman centurion, of the enemy of the people of God. You can well imagine John in this situation asking this question, who are you? Who are you if you're not the one who is about to bring justice, who is about to set me free? John, Jesus answers John and Jesus speaks to the crowd, but the story moves on and the crosshairs now focus in on another group. Another group who, if in a slightly different sense, have their opportunity, um, their five minutes before Jesus to say what they've got to say. Um, and it's Jesus is the one who summarises their thinking, their, their thoughts. Verse 33 says this, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said of him, he has a demon. And the Son of Man, as Jesus referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and instead you say of him that he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, here now are people who are critiquing Jesus. Not just Jesus, but John as well. People who represent two ends of a spectrum. John, whose God-given mission and ministry in, involved giving up all sorts of things. 
Jesus's God-given ministry involved embracing all sorts of things. And these Pharisees, if you like, finding themselves in this weird middle ground and wanting what? Well, I, I think in, in their heart of heart, either of those two extreme men to join them in the middle and to endorse their way of life, their way of living and acting and viewing the world. They want John the Baptist, who people seem to think was sent by God and Jesus, who has all these miracles accompanying the things that he does, confirming his ministry, they'd really like either of those men to come to the middle, to the centre, and to, and to endorse what they're all about. They want Jesus to be someone who smooths things over, who brings stability, who, uh, in the face of swaying and changes and turmoils, just sets the record straight down their line. Only Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Jesus comes and he openly challenges the things that they've taught, the things that they believe, the things that they've founded their entire lives on. And so they have this critique and it's a strong critique. To us it just reads like, okay, they're saying that he eats too much and drinks too much. Actually, it's lifted straight out of the book of Deuteronomy. And what follows it as an accusation in Deuteronomy is um, a sentence in of death. It's a really strong critique of Jesus. They're saying you shouldn't live like this because if you do, then, then you're someone who deserves death. And then we turn to a particular Pharisee. A Pharisee by the name of Simon, who invites Jesus into his home for a meal. And, and again, we've got to do a little bit of work trying to figure out what exactly is going on in Simon's heart. What is going on in his head? Why does he want to have his five minutes before Jesus? Now, for sure, there were Pharisees who were genuinely interested in what Jesus had to say, what Jesus had to teach, who when they met Jesus, when they encountered Jesus, they had their minds, their hearts transformed and they became followers of him. It doesn't seem from this account that Simon is that sort of Pharisee. There are other Pharisees who wanted to be near to Jesus so that they could engineer a situation in which they could uh, trap him, trick him, to incriminate himself so that they could condemn him. It doesn't seem either that that's what Simon's about here. It seems actually what's most likely is Simon is inviting Jesus to spend time with him in his home so that Simon could in a sense, collect Jesus or, or, or manipulate him and use Jesus to elevate his own status. Remember, the fame, the reputation of Jesus is on the up. And so, hey, it would be useful for Simon to have it known that that guy who's getting popular, that guy who's getting famous, that guy who is more and more important each and every day, yeah, he came to my house. He sat at my table. He, he received food from me. He listened to the things that I had to say. Simon wants to ride Jesus's coattails all the way to the top. He wants to collect him and use him to, to, to stand on his shoulders so that he would be high and lifted up. Only that's not how it goes. Instead of that, it, it seems as if Jesus' being there is going to be something which drags Simon down. 
You see, Simon has shown contempt for Jesus in so many ways. He hasn't offered him the welcome that he should have. But now when he observes Jesus, he thinks even less of him. It says that Jesus went to have dinner with him and he reclined at the table and a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. She learned that Jesus was eating at Simon's house and so she came there with an alabaster jar, an expensive perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to, to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and she poured perfume on them. And when Simon saw all of this already with his pretty low view of who Jesus was anyway, as demonstrated by his frosty welcome to him, Simon thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he even was half the man people are saying that he is, he'd know who was touching him. He'd know what kind of woman she is, how much of a sinner she is. And he wouldn't want anything to do with her. Simon doesn't even have the courage to speak those words out loud, but you can just imagine the contempt on his face. Do you know what ties all three of these groups, all three of these escalating reactions together is this. Is that they'd all love Jesus. They'd all welcome Jesus with open arms if, if he brought them what they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted. They don't hate Jesus per se, but they, they really just want Jesus to do something in particular for them before they're going to warm to him fully. They see Jesus as a means to an end and they see that end being unfulfilled. And Jesus responds to each of them. Jesus responds to John and, and he doesn't address the, the question of when justice is going to come. He simply says, look at what is happening. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are clean, the, uh, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He says, in effect, John, what you need to see is the bigger picture, pal. He doesn't deny that he's about bringing justice. And a massive part of what Jesus does is in his own body, in his own flesh, bring justice. But he says, John, this, this little end that you have in me, it's, it's only a very small fraction of the bigger picture of what I'm all about. He says to the Pharisees who were critiquing him, who are saying of John, we don't want you that far. Jesus, we don't want you that far. We want you to come and do things and endorse things our way. He says, do you know what? Wisdom will be proved right by all her children. We'll wait and we will see whose way is right. And to Simon, who already thinks so little of Jesus and then watches this interaction where Jesus welcomes, Jesus accepts this, this kindness this loving action from the woman. When uh, he sees that and he thinks even less of Jesus, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, look what is truly going on here. 
Think about it. He tells this story of two money lenders, uh, of a money lender who, owe, who has lent money to two people. He says one of them owes a fantastic amount, such a great sum of money that we can't really comprehend how they'd ever run up such a debt. The other owes not an insignificant amount, but considerably less. The money lender looks on the two of them and says, with absolute equity and equality, I forgive and I cancel both debts. Now, who would love the money lender more? Simon says, well, it's the one who's been forgiven the most. And Jesus said, well, yeah, you've answered right. And that's what I'm observing here. That's what I see in this situation. It's someone who has come and has seen me and loves me. Not just for the things that they can get out of me. Not as if I'm a gateway, a door into receiving gifts and blessings. But loves me for who I am. He says, look at response number four. Not someone who comes with questions. Not someone who comes with critique. Not someone who comes with contempt. But someone who comes to me with glorifying gratitude and love. I think this passage genuinely asks us the question, when we approach Jesus, when we envisage Jesus, when we weigh up perhaps whether Jesus is someone we want in our lives or not, are we looking to him as the one who gives gifts and assess him purely on those gifts? Or are we looking to him for who he is, the gift of himself? Think, think about uh, marriage. Marriage, uh, two individuals who, who love one another. And they're, they're people who would be able to explain the, the, the sorts of things that they love in that other person. You know, my wife, she loves me because I'm so handsome. Uh, she loves me because I've got such a wonderful sense of humour. It would be really sad, wouldn't it? to contemplate that that love would disappear, that she'd want to kick me on the scrap heap when I'm old and wrinkled and overweight and senile, my quick wit and my jokes have ceased. I, I, don't, I don't make her, um, I don't please her physically anymore and, and, and I don't stimulate her with my jokes. To be in that situation and, and for her to just say, well, the love is gone now because the gift that I was receiving from you have gone. Of course not. What a, what a sad situation that would be. What a sad relationship that would be if it was 100% about what we get out of the scenario and the situation. And it's the true of us and Christ. It's the, tr- it's the true of us and God. It's terribly sad if the only reason we can say that we love God is because of the things that he gives us. Because that puts us in that really dangerous, really precarious situation that when it seems like we're not getting those things anymore, or when those things are coming into our lives in ways and means that we, we didn't anticipate or, or, or we don't recognise, then our love will go. We find ourselves in the situation that John found himself in. Lord... I love you and I want to follow you if justice is coming. But if it's not coming, should I be looking elsewhere? He asks the question. 
The Pharisees, Jesus, we'd love to have you. We'd love for you to be part of the gang with all your mystical, magical powers. But not if it means changing how we live. Simon, I'd love to have you here, Jesus, if it makes me look good. Not if it's going to kind of drag me down and, and call my reputation into question. You see, they were all after Jesus as a means to an end, and that end wasn't being met. But the woman, well, it appears that she loved Jesus as an end in himself. See, the, the scriptures do encourage us not to forget the Lord's benefits, to count our blessings, to name them, uh, and to, to enjoy them, uh, to offer them. And, and to encourage others that if you come to Christ, yes, you will find, as this woman does, forgiveness. You will find acceptance. You will find peace and hope and purpose. But if all that is true, imagine how good what I'm saying to you now must be that none of it compares to having God, having Christ himself. There are plenty of places in the scriptures where God himself is described as the ultimate prize. His glory, his love, his presence, his fellowship with us. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul, Lord, pants after you, the living God. Not the things that you can give me, not the things that you can do for me, but you, yourself. Besides you, I desire nothing here on earth. You, my Lord, you and you alone, besides you, I have no good. How did Paul the Apostle sum up Christ's love? He summed it up like this, not that he loved us in order that we would be forgiven or accepted or find peace and purpose. He summed it up like this, the love of Christ seen by him giving us himself. That's Ephesians chapter 5. That's what's on offer to us. And when we want just the gift, we miss out on the giver. It leaves us in such a shaky, such a risky position. But you know what? When we recognise that it is Christ that we can have, Christ that we should have, well, then the floodgates open. Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else will follow. The great irony is that the justice that John wanted, the calm, the sense of peace and stability, the certainty that the Pharisees wanted, the lifting up, the glorifying of us that Simon wanted, those all come as gifts and as benefits of knowing and loving Christ. But when we seek them first, we miss out on that greatest gift. You know, when we seek God, then all things will be added to us. It's a tightrope that we have to walk. Not forgetting, not ignoring, not rejecting the things that God gives. Again, think of marriage. I'd be sad and upset if Charlotte didn't go around telling people how handsome and how funny I am. Thanks, Charlotte. Your words, not mine. Um, but by the same token, I wanted to love me. 
It would be sad if we couldn't recognize, if we couldn't numerate and articulate just the wonderful things that are ours in Christ, which we see even in this passage. She's been forgiven. She can go with uh, peace because she's been saved and accepted. But it would be a greater shame still if she missed, she found all those things and missed out on Jesus. It's a tightrope that we need to walk and we can only walk it when we have the Spirit's help to lead us into this truth. I'm going to pray a prayer that I found this week. It's by a gentleman called Scotty Smith and it really is about enjoying God, enjoying Christ for who he is first and foremost. Dear Lord, we want to worship. We want to adore. We want to trust you simply because of who you are. There are no other gods beside you. There's certainly no other God like you. The gospel of your grace is proof to us that you are everything we need. We are grateful for your gifts, but we want first and foremost to glorify you. When life is easy, when life is good, and when life is hard, when our health is great and when our struggles are real, when our kids love you and when they ignore you, when we get promotions and when we get the sad news that the factory closes, when marriage is great and when it's a lonely place, in every circumstance, in every story, we want to love, adore and honour you. So amen, we pray in Jesus' bold and beautiful name. Amen.